Well, then in 1906, in Los Angeles, California, a really crazy thing, kind of crazy thing happened. There was a holiness church, a mission, and there was a guy named William Seymour who was preaching. And um, he had services in his house. And he had some friends over and they started looking through scripture. And they said, I see this experience called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but I've never been taught this. So they just said, Lord, if this is the real thing, we'd like to have this because we want to know you better. And God did that. He baptized them in the Holy Spirit. So they started inviting their friends and their friends came to the house and they started having services and they explained what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. More people. And eventually so many people showed up that his porch collapsed. They were outside and they collapsed his porch. He said, OK, we got to do something different. So they went to a mission. They got an old mission downtown on Azusa Street. And people started coming. And this incredible revival happened. People started coming to know Christ. And people started wanting more of him. And they started praying for this baptism in the Holy Spirit. And they started getting it. And then it spread. And this new movement came out of this called the Assemblies of God. That's our heritage. And through the years, the Assemblies of God has been different because we're Pentecostal. We pray for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. We want God to work in us. Now, we're not saying other people aren't Christians who don't get this. We say this is an important doctrine. But in the last probably two decades, something started happening in Assemblies of God and other Pentecostal churches. Less and less people are seeking the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And part of it is just because we as parents aren't handing this down to our kids. And part of it is just with the rise of the megachurch, you know, having two or three services in a row. You just really don't have time and service to pray for this, right? And so this is something that as we look at who the Holy Spirit is, this is something that we're going to look at this morning. What is this experience called the baptism of the Holy Spirit? What's it about? And why do we, why do we talk about this? Why do we do this? And so uh, we're just going to kind of look through it a little bit. Now, how many of you remember as a kid doing the bucket brigade challenges? You ever do that? Okay, I'm seeing strange looks. We used to do this game. We still do it at Junior Fire Patrol sometimes. Remember back in the day before pumper trucks and all that, when a house caught fire, what did you do? You'd pass buckets. Somebody would get a water source. You'd pass the bucket down the line. And the last guy would throw it on the fire and then he'd pass the bucket back. What happens if you get uh, careless people, we'll say it that way, in line who shake the bucket too much? The water sloshes out. When you get to the end of the line, what happens? You get this little trickle, right? We do this game with kids. You know, we have a horse trough here and a horse trough down here, and they have to pass the bucket down the line and dump water in. Um, well, if you have a leaky bucket or if you have a person who sloshes a lot, by the time you get to the end of the line, you're not really doing much good, right? You're just kind of, and then that guy starts getting hot and he moves away. And so this is kind of what happens when we don't pass down doctrine to our children. The bucket gets leakier. Our kids don't know Christ like we did. Our churches don't know Christ like we did. And so it's important for us. That's why the Psalms say one generation tells your glory to another generation. That's our job. And that's what we take very seriously. Um, so that's what we're going to talk about today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 1. Dr. George Wood, who was our superintendent for years and years and years in the AG, talks about this, about passing down a full bucket of doctrine to our kids. Uh, not just the parts that are easy, but the parts that are a little tougher, too. So this is our distinctive doctrine. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We see this great scene where Jesus has been crucified, right? They laid him in the grave. Three days later, what happened? He resurrected. He rose, right? So we celebrated Easter time. Then Jesus walked around and he taught people, hundreds of people. And he, he showed them, hey, look, I'm really alive. Well, then right before he ascends to heaven, he gathers his disciple on a hill outside Jerusalem and he starts telling him, you know, go into all the world, 
and make disciples, right? Going to all the world. Then he tells them this in Acts chapter one, verse eight. He says, you will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Okay. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit. So he told him to wait. He said, go find a room and just wait until this happens. He says, when the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power. Then he says, you will be my what? Witnesses in all Jerusalem, which is where they're at, Judea, the surrounding towns, Samaria, the countries around them, and then to the ends of the earth. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to be my witnesses, right? So what does this mean? What is it? Why is this whole thing? What makes Pentecostal Christians different? Um, what makes us different as Christians? Well, let's do a little understanding. We know the last few weeks we talked about the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit is, the person of the Spirit. He's the third person in the Trinity. He's with us. He's in us, right? We talked about this. He lives inside of us. He gives us power. He does all these things. Well, we understand that Christians receive the Holy Spirit at salvation. When I ask Jesus Christ to come into my life and forgive my sins, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of me, right? That's God living inside of us. Romans 8, 9 says, you're not in the realm of the flesh, but you're in the realm of the spirit. If the spirit of God lives in you, if anyone doesn't have the spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19, Paul says, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. So we understand that when we become Christians, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, right? That's God's presence in us. That's what we carry with us. So. We already have the Holy Spirit in us. So what is the purpose of this baptism that Jesus talked about when the Holy Spirit comes? In Acts chapter 2, verse 4, it talks about how the Holy Spirit's or earth. <laughs> Holy Spirit. <sighs> all the Christians were together. They did what Jesus told them to do. They all went in a room. They were just standing there waiting for the, what Jesus had told them to wait on. Then it says, the day of Pentecost, this was a day when all the Christians came to Jerusalem. They were there, or all the Jewish people came to Jerusalem. They were celebrating. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says, They were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And they were filled, each of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues or other languages as the Spirit enabled them. So this, the Holy Spirit came on them. Now, they were Christians, so they already had the Holy Spirit inside of them, right? So what is this? What is this baptism that Jesus gave them? The Holy Spirit came in. Jesus said it was to receive what? Power. Power to do what? Power to be a witness. Power to be a witness. Power to be used in spiritual gifts to be a witness, right? That's why the baptism of the Holy Spirit is important, because it gives us power. It's not to become... Uh, part of a Christian club. So where are some misconceptions? Some misconceptions of this. We hear people all the time that they get this wrong. Some people think, oh, we had the Holy Spirit so we can have an exciting service at church. No. The purpose of having the baptism of the Holy Spirit is to be what? Witnesses. To walk this walk. To live this life. We talked about last week being filled with love. Being filled with the power of the Spirit to live this life. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not so we can speak in other languages, to speak in tongues. That's not what it's for. It's to be what? Witnesses, right? It's not to be a part of a Pentecostal club, to be that weird church in town, right? That's not it. It's to receive power. It's because we want more of Christ in our lives. 
We want to have him. We want to walk with him. We want to walk in that power to do this thing. Because I don't know about you guys. I can't live this Christian life on my own. Right? I'm weak. I can't do it. We used to have missionaries come when I was in Bible college. These missionaries from all over the world. I went to a college in Springfield. <laughs> Amy and I did, which is the headquarters of the Assemblies of God. So these missionaries would be there. So we get these incredible speakers that come in all the time and speak in our chapel services. Because we went to church six days a week in Bible college. We got a lot of church. It was good. I needed it. Um, but we had these incredible missionaries. And they would tell us these stories of what God did through them. And they would always say, guys... If you're going to go on the field to be a missionary, you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Because you can't do this on your own. He said, yeah, you have the Holy Spirit, but you need that. He said, when you see witch doctors come and try to curse you, you want to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, so it's to receive power to be witnesses. Power to live this life. Power to love people who are unlovable. That's what the Holy Spirit is for. The baptism of the Spirit. So what are tongues? It says that they spoke in these other languages. Well, we see that... And when we received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we, the disciples, spoke in tongues or other languages. It's a prayer language that God gives us. We're going to talk about this here in a little bit. But it's a privilege. It's a prayer language. We don't have to pray in the Spirit. We get to pray in the Spirit. It's a prayer language. Um, it's an amazing thing. And it's the initial physical evidence. And as someone's of God, that's our doctrine. We say when someone gets baptized in the Holy Spirit, when they receive this experience that Acts talks about, the first outward sign that we see is that they spoke in other languages. They spoke in prayer language. All throughout the book of Acts, when you see someone was received the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the very first thing they did was <laughs> speak in other languages. It's because we can't see it inside. You know, you don't get a, a sticker on your forehead that said, I've been baptized in the Spirit. We see this outward sign. Now, is that the only sign that you've been baptized in the Spirit? No. We see other things happen. We see us walking in power. We see the fruit of the Spirit evident in our lives. So sometimes in AG churches, and I'm going to be the rebellious Missourian dissident here, I think we put too much emphasis sometimes on speaking in tongues and not enough on living out this Christian life in front of others with the power of the Spirit. That's what it's for, is to be witnesses. It's not so I can say, oh, I can pray in tongues. Great. But can you love people? <laughs> what, what does your neighbor say about you? What does your coworker say about your Christian life, right? So... And then the baptism of the Spirit, guys, we see that it was normative in the early church. The baptism of the Holy Spirit was normative. It was just the normal thing that happened. Whenever the disciples came to a new town and they found Christians, they said, Hey, have you received the baptism of the Spirit? Uh, I don't even know what that is. Let me tell you. And they would receive it. It was normal. In Acts chapter 8, verse 14, it says, When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message. Let me pause there. The people of Samaria had accepted God's message. Was that a big deal? That was a huge deal. Because the Jewish people didn't like the Samaritans. But when they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they started going everywhere and telling people about Him. Remember in Acts 1-8, we read earlier, Jesus said, You will receive power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. They were doing what Jesus told them to do. That was a big deal. Because the disciples were kind of hard-headed, weren't they? Remember over and over when Jesus was walking with him, he'd say, oh, how long do I have to put up with you guys? Do what I tell you to do, right? So it says, when these people had heard the message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they had arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit hadn't yet come upon any of them, for they'd only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them and these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. 
Ephesians 5.18, Paul says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So in Acts 4.31, the disciples were being persecuted. They came together and they prayed. They said, Lord, give us power. Give us strength to take your message to these people. After this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they preached the word of God with boldness. So understand that this is not just a one-time thing, but it's a walk with Jesus every day. Saying, Lord, would you please fill me with your spirit? Give me strength to be your witness. Would you do this? So that's kind of the background. Now, why are more people not receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, the first thing, honestly, I think, is kind of an inadequate scriptural understanding. We just don't understand what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. Or we had a bad experience. I don't know about you guys, but, you know, I grew up out of church. But when we did go to church, um, we went to a Baptist church. So I'd never really heard about this before. And I love the Baptists. We work with Baptists all the time. Um, but I just never heard of this. The first time I went to a Pentecostal church, I was like, this is weird. What is going on? Because I went to an AG daycare. And so I was like, oh, this is kind of odd. And so I was, a little, I was a little scared. And then when I did start going to youth group when I was 16, and I gave my heart to Christ. Um, I hadn't connected the dots that the church I went to is a Pentecostal church. And so um, I started hearing about this. And I was like, well, this is really cool. I want more of Jesus. So, you know, I went up to go pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And you know what happens? This crowd of people come around and they're laying hands on you and praying and yelling and hollering. And I said, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think I want that. <laughs> so I didn't really know what it was until I started researching it on my own. And then I just started praying for it on my own. And I prayed for months and months. And one night in my bedroom, I was just praying. God baptized me in the Holy Spirit in my bedroom all by myself. Uh, and I received the, you know, I, I started praying in tongues. I didn't realize what was going on. So sometimes we just don't know what that is. We don't know why we want it. We don't know who the Holy Spirit really is. That's why we're doing this series to get to know who the Holy Spirit is better. <laughs> There's a story about, it's not a true story. It's just a story about these two guys who died and they found themselves at the gates of heaven. St. Peter's standing there. And they said, okay, before you can come in, uh, you have to tell me what Easter is. I, I need to know that you're a Christian, so tell me what Easter's about. Again, it's not a true story. It's just a funny. But uh, he said, tell me what Easter is. The first guy said, well, um, Easter's a holiday where they have a big feast and they give thanks and eat turkey. And Peter's like, uh, no, you're out. And so the next guy comes up. He says, Easter is when we celebrate Jesus' birth and we exchange gifts. And he said, no, you're out. So the third guy shows up and he says, all right, I know what this is. Peter said, all right, tell me. He said, well, Easter is a Christian holiday that coincides with the Jewish festival of Passover. Jesus was having Passover feasts with his disciples when he was betrayed by Judas. And the Romans arrested him. They hung him on the cross. He died. Then they buried him behind a tomb, behind a big boulder. And Peter said, hey, you're, you're getting this. Good job. And I said, now every year the Jews roll away the boulder. Jesus comes out. If he sees a shadow, we have six more weeks of basketball. <laughs> Peter said, uh, no. So, you know, sometimes we just don't understand. We don't get it. We've never been taught. And so it's important for us to know what we believe. It's important for us to know why we believe it. And so sometimes we just don't know. And then there's also this fear of the counterfeit. We're afraid of getting something false. We're afraid of not doing the right thing. <clears throat> in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus actually talks about this in verse 9 through 11. He's talking to people and he says, If your son asked for bread, would you give him a rock? No. Or if he asked for a fish, would you give him a snake? No. Then he says, if then, though you're evil, know how to give gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So the Lord is not going to give you a fake gift, right? 
So we're always worried about, and I know this really hung me up when I was, when I was a teenager, when I was just seeking, because I just said, you know, I want everything that God has for me, right? And, and you know, that's still my heart. God, I want everything that you have. I want to do everything because I've only got one life to live. I want to do this right, you know, and I, I want to do this. So I want everything that God has for me, but I was so nervous about messing up or I was so nervous about getting something fake, right? God is not going to give you, if you're really seeking after him, God is not going to give you something fake. He loves you too much. And then there's this, this false idea of having a specific pattern uh, to receive it. You know, when I was a kid, everybody would come up and lay hands on me and said, all right, you know, uh, you got to raise your hands. You got to let go. You got to talk. We don't see that anywhere in scripture. We just say that they lay their hands on them. They prayed and they received it. Right. It's a gift. Um, some people, you know, they said, no, you know, get down on your knees and, you know, do your hands like this and, and say watermelon, watermelon. You know, you don't have to do that. That's not what the Holy Spirit is. And then lastly, there's this fear of emotionalism without the continuing evidence of substance. We're afraid of being emotional and not really doing anything with it. Right. We're afraid of being emotional and, you know, and people say, oh, you know, you Pentecostals, you're just all about the crying and the snot and the emotions and all that. No, we're about having everything that God has for us. That's what we want. And so. So if you're here, you know, and you say this morning, you know, I'm just not real sure about this whole thing. We do have some stuff that you can take home and read about um, out in our foyer. We got these little books called Now What we bought just for this. Uh, they're giving some of these out in kids church and some in youth. Um, it's just all about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what it is. But we also got these brochures out here. This is one and just all about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You can take one of these and read up on it. It's got all the verses in there that talk about it. Uh, we got another one that's on our doctrines. That's in there. And also the gifts and the fruit of the Holy Spirit is out there as well. So you're more than welcome to take some of these if you're just saying, you know, I'm just not sure about this whole Pentecostal thing. Um, But that's kind of what keeps people from that. So how do we do it? If we say, Lord, I really want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I want to have this this encounter with you because I need that power. My coworkers are nuts. You know, I, I need this power. I realize I can't live this life on my own. A couple of principles. The first one is the gift principle. Do you have to work for a gift? No, so they just give it to you. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is never, ever, ever in Scripture. It's never received because they did something right. It's never, ever received because they were good enough. It was simply a gift. The Lord said, you will receive power. He didn't say you'll earn power. He didn't say if, if you've been to the synagogue enough. And it, you know, No, it's just a gift. We just ask for it. But then there's this other principle of faith. How many of you are analytical people? You like to think things through. I'm one of those people, as soon as I get something, I read the instruction manual because I want to understand how it works. And I know that's anti-guy all the way. I'm sorry. You know, I may have to give up my man card. But I like to know why things work, right? I want to understand it. And so when I first heard about this, I went home and I started reading it on my own. I wanted to understand it. But how many of you know we don't always understand everything about God? They've been talking about um, Revelation in the high school Sunday school class. Thank you, Cindy. And it's really good. But my daughter has had a ton of questions. Well, how is this going to work? And at some point, we just had to say, I really don't know. I really don't know how all this is going to shake out. But here's what we do know. And we go to Scripture and we look at it. Um, Cindy's been doing a great job with them in there with that. But Hebrews 11 says, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we don't see. About what we don't see. So sometimes we just take things on faith. God, I, I don't understand all of this. I know that I have the Holy Spirit inside me because you came into my life and forgave my sins. 
Um, and I'm just asking for this baptism because I want more of you. I just want this power that you have for me. And I don't understand how it all works, but I just trust in you because you're good, right? And then the last one, probably the hardest one, is the sovereignty principle. And I don't know if that's totally a word, but it is now. Sovereignty. This is where God is sovereign. God does what God wants to do. Sometimes people pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and they get it the very first time they ask for it. Just out it goes, right? Other people pray for months and months and months and months and months, and they don't get it until God's ready in His timing. I was one of those, man. I prayed and I prayed, and all my friends and youth group had been baptized in the Spirit. And I'm like, what is, what's wrong with me? Right? You ever do that? God, why, why did I not get this? And they all did. And I don't know why. But God is sovereign and God knows when the right time is. Sometimes God's got to work things out in us. Sometimes we have to get our, our act together. Sometimes we've got to figure out why we want it. Um, but it's a gift for everybody. You know, God doesn't play favorites. In Acts chapter 10, Peter, the disciple, had gone down to this group of Romans who had received Christ. And as he was talking, they were Gentiles. They weren't Jewish. And so Peter's just talking to them. And while he's talking to them, these people were all baptized in the Holy Spirit. They weren't even asking for it. He just, God did it. And so I love this line. Acts chapter 10, verse 34. Peter says, I realize now how true it is that God doesn't show favoritism. But he accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what's right. In other words, Peter's saying, I didn't think you were eligible for the baptism of the Holy Spirit because you're Roman and Gentiles and God just did it. So I don't know. And so he's saying, God will do this for anyone who asks. He doesn't show favorites. So, so that's how you, you simply, if you say, if you want this, you just come and you say, Lord, I want all of you. And we ask for the Holy Spirit, not for the gift of speaking in tongues. We don't do that. We just say, Lord, I want you, Holy Spirit, I invite you into my life because I want more of you. I want to know you better. I want to be used. I want to go into the world. And I love that song. I just fit. You know, I want you to flow through me. I want you to reach my family. I want you to reach my friends. I want to be used in any way you want. And that's what it is. So what are the evidence? How do we know that we've received this baptism? Well, the first one, obviously, is speaking in tongues, because all through Scripture, that's there, right? It's the initial outward sign. But to really know we've received this, the fruit of the Spirit comes out in our life. The fruit of the Spirit is a continuing evidence. In Galatians chapter 5, there's this great list of what he calls the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, Evidence that the Holy Spirit is evident and working in your life. We talked about this last week, but Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 24. Paul says, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk in the Holy Spirit, right? And then he says this, for the flesh desires was contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit was contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. So he's saying, basically, if you're walking in the Holy Spirit, this stuff is going to show up in your life. It says the acts of the flesh are obvious, and he gives us a list of things that happen when we walk in our sinful nature. But then in verse 22, he says the fruit of the Spirit, the things that come out of our life when the Holy Spirit is working in us, uh, is love and joy, peace, patience or forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And so, then down to verse 25, he says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And so, in other words, Paul is saying, when you have the Holy Spirit in your life, these things are going to come out. Now, will these show up in any Christian? Yes, because we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, right? But when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, when you have this power at work within us, 
it's a little easier to show these things, isn't it? Because you have God's power in you to do these things. And so here's the thing. If I'm a Christian and I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit, this stuff's going to come out in my life. Now, there are also gifts of the Spirit, and we'll talk about those a little bit next week, but ways God works through us, through the Holy Spirit, um, and those things are great. But which one of these did Paul say was the best, the most important? Love. In 1 Corinthians 13, he says, all these great things happen, you know, knowledge and prophecy and all these things, but the greatest of these is love. So when I have the Holy Spirit operating in my life, love should be coming out of me. Does that mean we're going to be perfect? Ooh. (laughs) Are some people going to be harder to love than others? Oh, yeah. Yeah. There are going to be people that rub us the wrong way. There are going to be people that irritate us. There are going to be people that drive 10 miles an hour under the speed limit when you're in a hurry. And it's going to be frustrating, right? But love wins. How about joy? Am I always going to be happy? No. But there's this joy that comes from walking in the Holy Spirit. This joy that comes from knowing that everything's going to be okay because God's in control. Joy comes out. Peace. Does that mean I'm never going to get frustrated? No. I'd be in trouble, right? But peace, knowing that God is in control of my life. Even when I'm going through a rough patch, this peace comes out of me. Long-suffering or patience, again. It's hard to love people sometimes. Sometimes it's hard to wait on God's timing, isn't it? Sometimes we don't know what God's doing in our lives. This patience helps. Gentleness. Faith. Right? These things all come out meekness or self-control, temperance. These things all come out of us because we have the Holy Spirit living in us. Right? Humble. So, if we have the Holy Spirit in our lives, and if we're Christians, these are going to come out. If we have the baptism in the Holy Spirit, these things are going to be a little more obvious because the Spirit walks with us and lives with us. So, what is this process of living a spirit-filled life. Well, the first thing, Galatians 5.25 says, we need to keep in step by the Spirit. We need to live a holy life. And this is not legalism. This isn't saying, do this, do this, do this. This is walking with Christ. And it's going to be evident. And then we need to pray in the Spirit daily. Jude chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. I love this line. He says this, You, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit And wait for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ who will bring you eternal life. In this way, you'll keep yourself safe in God's love. He says, we need to pray in the Spirit when? All the time. We need to pray in our prayer language all the time. Until Christ comes back. He says, wait on the mercy who brings us eternal life. And then be willing to be used in the spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about these spiritual gifts. Be willing to be used in that. This is when you're just walking through life and God will prompt you and say, hey, go talk to this person. Hey, this person needs prayed for today. Go talk to them. Just being willing to be used in that, just walking in the Holy Spirit, just saying, Lord, I want to be used however you want to use me. It's not just for in church. It's for out in the world. And then be filled continuously. Ephesians five seventeen through 19 says, Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. And then where he says be filled, that's not just be filled once, but it means be continuously. The Greek there actually says be being filled. In other words, be filled all the time. So, and I know there's some of us here that really don't get all this. Um, but you know, this is an important thing for us. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. And you just, if you just say, Lord, I just want all of you. This is a great step. 
This is for every Christian. I know some of you are like, Arr. my advice to you is just take, take some of these brochures home and just read the scripture on it. Say, Lord, would you just show me if this is, is this is for me? So I'm just going to ask you to stand this morning and I'm going to have the worship team come up. And we're just going to take a moment to pray. Now, some of you here have been baptized in the Holy Spirit for years. I'm just going to ask you to say, Lord, would you just fill me again? Would you refresh me in your presence? Some of you are saying, you know, I don't know if I'm really ready to pray for this yet. That's awesome. I'm going to ask you to just go home and say, Lord, would you just show me what this is about? But if you're here this morning and you say, you know what? I want to ask for this. I want everything God has for me. You can stay in your seat and you can just say, Lord, would you just fill me with your spirit? If you want to come up front and have other people pray for you, you can absolutely do that as well. We're just going to pray together. Father, I thank you so much today for the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. God, I thank you that you have so much for us. Lord, you want to walk with us. You want us to keep in step with you. Holy Spirit, you want to flow through us to reach our neighbors, to reach our friends, to reach our family members. You want to give us that power to be your witnesses. And Lord, that's what we want. We want to be great examples of you everywhere that we go. We want everything that you have for us. So I just pray all around this room, if there are people here that have been filled with the Spirit before, but they say, Man, I just need to be refilled. I, I'm just going to pray like the disciples. Lord, would you give me strength to live this life? Would you give me the power to go through these things I'm going through? Or there's some of us here that maybe never even heard of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit until today. Lord, would you speak to us and just help us to desire everything you have for us? Or there's some here today that are probably ready saying, Lord, I want to be filled. Would you fill them today with your power, with your strength? In Jesus' name. So I'm just going to invite you this morning to say, you know, this is something that I really want. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to be given that strength and that power. You can stay right where you're at. That's totally fine. If you want someone else to pray for you, you can come up front. Someone will lay a hand on your shoulder and just pray for you. Um, but I'm just going to invite you up. If you want to just say, Lord, I just need refreshed. I encourage you, you can stay where you're at. You can come up front. We're just going to take some time.